Welcome to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson as well, Adam McManus with me on this edition. And friends, we are monitoring the decline of a civilization. Certainly, we've seen a socioeconomic decline, a breakdown of the character of the nation. As you see, the number of kids born without fathers increased from 6% in the 1960s to 42% in the present generation. And we could go on and on. But hey, we're seeing a breakdown of the social conditions as well as the character of the nation. Now, will that affect the economy? Will that affect the educational systems? Absolutely. No question in my mind that we are going to see a concomitant decline in the academic performance of a nation. That's why, Adam, it was not surprising at all to me to see this story that Jonathan Clark identified for theworldview.com just earlier this week. American academic performance sinking fast. High school students scoring their lowest in three decades. And I'm going to say closer to four and a half decades in the ACT. ACT scores now dropped to 19.5. Again, the lowest since 1991, really the lowest since 1960. The reason they're saying since 1991, there was a shift in the way they tested in the early 1990s. But the academic scores have declined now for six years in a row. And that's pretty significant. To remind folks, ACT stands for American College Testing. The score covers English, math, reading, and science. Here is kind of an overall bird's eye view. In 1970, uh, and you have to understand by way of background that the highest score is 36. Today, we're at 19.5. In 1970, the average was 22 1990, the average was 20.6. In 2010, the average was 21. And 2015, the average is 19.5. And I think that's where it's maintained since then, here up until 2023. Yeah, math has dropped from 22 down to 19. And so this is a pretty substantial drop-off of the performance, the average student trying to get into college in the present day. And uh, I think there's a covenantal concept going on here. You're like the people you hang out with. You've heard the expression, it's hard to soar like eagles when you're hanging around with turkeys. Yes, I've heard that. I love that. Have you heard that expression? <laughs> yeah. It might be a bumper I sticker. call it the covenantal concept. I think the people that we choose as our peers or the people that are placed there for us as young people, as peers, and the very environment itself. The latter part of that story that Jonathan Clark reported that I voiced said that the American College testing scores for public school students, that's what's been on the decline. Meanwhile, scores for homeschooled and private school students have increased over the same time. They've consistently been higher than the public school scores. So once again, reason number 97, why you should homeschool your children. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the covenant concept that, you know, your standards are set by, well, everybody around you. And if the standards lag, then everybody lags to the standard. But, you know, if, if you have a different standard for character, for self-discipline, for morality, and for academic performance within the context of homeschooling or within the context of a fairly disciplined Christian school, then you're, you're going to see that overall average increase 
for that people group. And here's the biblical principle behind it from 1 Corinthians 15. You find it throughout the Proverbs. Bad company corrupts good character, or do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That is, slothfulness and purposelessness and slovenliness and carelessness that has been inculcated through the social group and through the worldview of purposelessness and meaninglessness and post-Christian nihilism, when that worldview sinks in long enough, that's going to affect the entire college classroom. Slothfulness, purposelessness, slovenliness, and carelessness can rub off on you from the rest of the college classroom. And I think our young brothers and sisters that head off into the institutions need to be well aware of that. That is, we need our perspectives, our goals, our standards to be much more absorbed from God's word and from the church community than it comes from the academic institutions of the day and the unbelieving community around us. Does that make sense? I'm looking at the scripture. I, I think you've basically summarized it. First Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil associations or companionship corrupts good morals. Well, that's it. Now, n- not just the academic, but the morality as well. And we're seeing that with Harvard University. So I want to move from college academics to college morals. Next on Generation, huge concerns with Harvard University coming out of this debate on the Palestinian war. Back in just a moment on Generations. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularists for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. And welcome back to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson as well, Adam McManus with me. And one of the most, I think, important, instructive, and illustrative stories of the day as to what is happening on the American University campus is how this story relating to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is played out on the Harvard University campus. Harvard has become the poster child for American culture wars in the 11 days since the terrorist attack on Israel. And I want you to give us a little bit of a synopsis on this, Adam. You've been following this perhaps a little closely than I have. 
34 Harvard student groups signed a statement that said in no uncertain terms that Israel was entirely responsible for the attacks that Hamas, the Muslim terrorist group, launched against them. The thousands of rockets, the abducting of people, the going door-to-door with non-combatants in civilian areas, that Israel was entirely responsible. It's a direct quote. And uh, there were 34 of these Harvard groups, one student group after another, signing on the dotted line that they supported this. And it has become a flashpoint for an intergenerational tension about the war and the broader culture war around campus free speech. Here is what one sentence said of it. We, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. I mean, it was Hamas that attacked them in the largest attack that we have seen in decades. But interestingly, there are lots of wealthy Harvard alumni and donors who have said, we're cutting you off. We're not going to give another dime. We're upset. We're furious. Bill Ackman, a billionaire hedge fund manager, said on October 10th that this infuriated him and he will not be hiring anyone from these student groups. Israeli billionaire Edan Ofer, who owns Quantum Pacific Group and his wife, stepped down from their positions on the executive board of Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. They also withdrew a multi-million dollar donation that they planned to make. And then billionaire retailer Les Wexner announced on October 16th that his Jewish leadership philanthropy, the Wexner Foundation, had cut funding from the school. With all that said, Claudine Gay, the Harvard president, issued this statement. It's, I think, interesting. She said, while our students have the right to speak for themselves, no student group, not even 30 student groups, speaks for Harvard University or its leadership. We do not punish or sanction people for expressing such views but that is a far cry from endorsing them. So she really appeared to walk the line and not chastise the student groups for their position, saying, well, they have the right to say what they feel, but it is what it is, as as people like to say in, in culture today. There are conservatives who are so outraged that they are driving a digital billboard through Harvard's campus that began on October 11th claiming to show faces and names of students associated with the letter, labeling them as Harvard's leading anti-Semites. Harvard, in response, is beefing up security to make sure that no one is hurt as a result of these students being outed. To his credit, the former Harvard president Hmm. and ex-Treasury Secretary Larry Summers on October 9th posted on Twitter, X, that in his nearly 50 years of being affiliated with Harvard, quote, I have never been as disillusioned and alienated as I am today. The silence from Harvard's leadership, and I think he's speaking in particular to Claudine Gay, the president currently, uh, Summers said the silence from Harvard's leadership so far, coupled with a vocal and widely reported students' group statement blaming Israel solely, has allowed Harvard to appear at best neutral 
towards acts of terror against the Jewish state of Israel. And there are two representatives in Congress right now that have been very outspoken. Republican Senator Ted Cruz from my state of Texas, a Harvard alum, accused the student groups who signed the statement of, quote, blazing hatred and anti-Semitism, end quote, that was, quote, utterly blinding. And then there's a congresswoman from New York. Her name is Elise Stefanik. She said that Claudine Gay, the Harvard president, quote, should immediately resign for refusing to condemn anti-Semitism. She said the university was continuing to disgrace itself on the global stage. So what I'm grateful for is the outspokenness of the Harvard alumni who are both willing to pull funding and those in political spheres of influence to condemn such outrageous rhetoric on the part of these 34 Harvard groups. The big takeaway for me, Adam, is that the modern world has lost a moral compass. In fact, actually, that comment was made by somebody in that article from Business Insider. Uh, But yeah, the modern world has lost a sense of moral compass and given way to ethical confusion. And the reason for that is, of course, Isaiah 5, the Holy One of Israel, uh, has come to say, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who turn darkness to light and light to darkness, who replace bitter with sweet and sweet with bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight, which pretty much defines the modern age and the modern university that cannot determine the difference between good and evil on the basis of God's law. Just simply can't do it. Now, there's tension here. There's no transcendent ethic on the one hand. That is, Harvard University and all of the secular universities refuse to acknowledge God's law as the standard for ethic. That is, there is no transcendent ethic. There's no ultimate ethic. There's no ultimate authority by which we can determine what is right and wrong in the mind of the modern university. And yet there is still this high degree of moralism, a high sense of moral responsibility and moral position. And that's because man is a moral creature. There's no getting around that. He's made the image of God and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. So there is still something of a moral sense, but the moral compass is spinning like a top. (laughs) There's a moral sense, but the moral compass is wherever it happens to be at any point in time. That's, That's modern man. It's humanist man. Man is highly moral. He's constantly comparing my morality with their morality and then changing the standard of morality about every three hours. Don't make that uh, every three minutes. Don't make that every three seconds <laughs> in the postmodern age. Yes. One company, a law firm, Davis, Polk, and Wardwell, confirmed to Business Insider October 17th that it had rescinded job offers to three students from Columbia University and Harvard University due to their alleged involvement in student groups which issued statements on the Israeli-Hamas war taking the side of Hamas. So what's encouraging is that there are businesses that have a moral compass. What's sad is that the universities, and especially the most prestigious, academically strong universities out there like a Harvard, which once trained young men to be warriors for Christ and champion the word of God and the pulpits that were aflame with righteousness have now championed moral decay, moral anarchy, moral relativism, and have abandoned a clear biblical moral compass. As we pointed out before, anywhere between 95 and 99% of Harvard Law School graduates are liberal. 
and I, I think we went over the number of professors who call themselves conservative. I think it was between one and 3%. The other 97% of Harvard University professors are liberal or at least left of center. And so, again, you know, when it comes to Harvard University and these mainstream Ivy League organizations, they have taken a position that is anti-biblical at almost every point. They're okay with killing babies in their mother's womb, but apparently some of them are not okay with killing Jews. Now, anti-Semitism sometimes becomes the only sin for some groups on campus. But of course, that's not the only sin as defined by God's law. All forms of hatred, murder, sexual sin are against God's law. And that's, you know, that's us because we stand on a standard. They don't. So as long as you do not receive an absolute standard for right and wrong, you're going to be blown one way or the other by whatever the democracy is is pushing at the moment they also find a higher ethic in multiculturalism they have a hard time condemning the ethic of jihad for the muslims while commending the jews i think they're stuck within their own system they've had a hard time distinguishing between different forms of what they would call sin in a world of relativism the relativist will always abandon morality at some point at some point he'll allow for murder and rape if it achieves the ends he's looking for so uh Here's another contradiction that I see. These colleges will shut down Christian free speech, but they wouldn't want to shut down Muslim free speech that exercises its jihad and terrorism against Jews. So you see that as well. In fact, this was a comment made by USA Today, a column I picked up in USA Today. It says it's hard to wrap your mind around what's going on in Harvard. The social justice warriors on college campuses around America come out in support of terrorists who last weekend raped and murdered and beheaded. These are the same students who need safe spaces for those who may talk about race or gender in a way they find offensive or will shout down and demand the cancellation of speakers <laughs> with whom they disagree, namely Christians and conservatives. Yet some of them seem perfectly okay with defending the atrocities right. committed with Hamas, invading Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So you certainly see something of a contradiction in their system. And I think it has to do with a moral relativism. That's what it comes down to. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They've got ethics when it's convenient, and they don't have ethics when it's inconvenient. And and by the way, college administrators really should have the right to control what goes on on their campus. They should be able to expel certain people who do not meet certain moral standards, I believe. Why? Well, because it's their campus. There's no ultimate opening for free speech on college campuses. Why? Because every college campus is going to be governed by some particular worldview. You take a Christian campus, for example. Are you going to allow for uh, atheists to stand up and be preaching on a regular basis in the classrooms across a Christian campus? I don't think so. So private campuses can limit free speech as much as they want to. And, and oh, by the way, if somebody wants to attend a college where there are certain, you know, increase in terms of the latitude of free speech allowed on a particular campus, then go to that campus. The free market should allow for that. So again, if you know colleges were privatized, then we wouldn't have nearly the the issues we have today. But these this idea that you know you can you must allow for every anti-Semitic comment. Uh, you must allow for all forms of blasphemy against God on every Christian cl- campus in America. 
I don't take that position. I, I take the position that colleges should be privatized and, and certain, certain allowances for freedom of speech. Absolutely. But, but you can't, you can't be completely allowing for every form of rude behavior and, you know, blasphemous speech in any campus in America. Right. I, I think any Christian college worth its salt can withstand a even well-intentioned cross-examination of the Christian faith by someone who is agnostic or atheist, uh, whether they came to that school as an agnostic or an atheist, or they subsequently abandoned their faith having tough questions. If you can't debate those ideas in a Christian college atmosphere, you can't do it anywhere. But yes, if, if someone becomes unnecessarily problematic and distracting the class from the ultimate goals of going through the syllabus and the course requirements, then yeah, there there comes an, a point where the atheist should be asked to leave if if the professor can't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, and there, there, there can be rules and there can be limitations to the obnoxiousness allowed. Well, now the woke ethic is another relativistic ethic that's playing out, I think, on Harvard and just about every other campus in America today, the minority can pull the woke card at any point, and then he's untouchable. He can get away with whatever he wants to get away with, and that's the idea here. The Palestinians are the minority at the moment they get their way, and it's usually the loudest and most obnoxious that wins in the woke debate, the one who screams heretic the loudest. Uh, and and that's, you know, that's the ethic that seems to be dominating on these campuses. It's crazy ethic, but that's apparently the, the new ethic. Uh, most of the time, though, people forget that there are sinners on both sides of conflicts, and I think we need to come back to this as well, that as we fight for justice on one side or the other, let's remember that everything has to be determined or judged by the laws of God. The other side may be, may appear to be more unjust than the others, but by a consistent biblical ethic, we need to require that all killing of innocent people, abortion, killing of babies in war, raping of women, sexual perversion, etc. All of these are taken care of in a court of law on the basis of two to three witnesses, etc. And, uh, and where the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and where there are atrocities going on in every war, we need to remember that there isn't perfect innocence on both sides. We should call for justice. Absolutely. We've talked about this on previous broadcasts. Call for justice, yes. But also remember that both sides are sinners and need to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ, who can cleanse us from all of our sin. And so we end on the gospel on this edition of the Generations Broadcast. I hope this has been helpful to you. As we try to make sense of the craziness, the ethical relativism, the abandonment of a Christian worldview on Harvard campus, believe it or not, the university that was formed to be a seminary for the first Congregationalist pastors in Puritan, New England, some 350 years ago. Incredible that now it's devolved into a humanist cesspool as what we see it today. Well, friends, you can interact with the program by emailing me at host at generations.org. I'd recommend to you my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, to better understand what happened in the development, the rise of a Christian worldview, and then the falling off of a Christian worldview in the Western world, and so much of it happened on Harvard campus. Read the full story. Our book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.